Amazing to me what things we remember from when we were kids. Uh, I am 51. When I think of all the things that have entered my brain in 51 years, some, some of those things are important, most of them incredibly unimportant, right? Uh, you would think that our brains have some sort of system where they know how to file the good need to know stuff and forget about the stuff that's not so important, but that's not the case. Um, like, I'm horrible at remembering my passwords or my security codes. I don't know if you have that problem as well. Uh, when, I, when I call my bank, if I have to call my bank, I have to guess like three or four different passwords before it works at all. But if you ask me the secret password to the fort I had in fourth grade where no girls were allowed, I can name that in a second. Come to think of it, I might wanna make that my bank password. Maybe that's the move I should, I should try there. But, uh, or even this, not long ago, I was playing a trivia game with, with my wife, Andrea, and uh, in the trivia game, I had to look at somebody's haircut from a 70s sitcom, and I had to name the character. Can you name the character? It was Fonzie, yes, it was the Fonz, that's exactly right. Uh, very easy for me to do that, but if you were to ask me something important, like who was the president when that sitcom was on? I'd have to do about five minutes of brain racking. I still don't know the answer to that. It's just weird, the stuff that our minds choose to remember and the stuff that gets locked in there that will not go away. And I bring it up because a while ago, I was reading the Bible, it was in the book of Acts, and I saw the passage that we're gonna look at today, and uh, what popped in my mind immediately was a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I know that that's disappointing. One of your pastors reading the Bible, first thing that comes to mind is Bugs Bunny, but as I was preparing for this message today, I took what was like 30 seconds, found the cartoon, bought it on iTunes. Let me show you what came to my mind as I was reading the Bible in prep for today. Go ahead, take a look at this. A minute, partner. You can't talk to me like that. You watched Bugs Bunny growing up, right? Show of hands, how many remember? Okay, uh, does anybody else remember that line in the sand moment from that cartoon? It, it's amazing, it's probably been 40 years since I've seen that, but of all the things to remember from your childhood, so random, that moment in that cartoon. Now, I, I'm gonna explain in a little while why the Bible caused me to think of that, but I remember very specifically seeing that cartoon and that whole uh, line in the sand thing. I, I remember it making its way into my playtime. We had this creek by the house that I grew up in, and yeah, we would play in our yard and at our friends' houses, but more often than not, we would be down by the creek, skipping rocks and, and floating things downstream, following them, see where they went, and pushing each other in. Uh, inevitably, as we would fight, which boys do, somebody would draw a line in the sand. Although we didn't have sand, we had ground cover, but uh, saying I'm drawing a line in the ground cover doesn't have the same authority to it, doesn't carry the same weight. And so, so the line in the sand thing had an effect on me. Uh, we used it as kids to say that we were, we were threatened by someone or we were threatening them to, to do what they were about to do. If they did it, bad things were gonna happen. Basically, here's what, we would say, here's the line, do not cross it or else. I was thinking about that this week and it caused me to research where this whole thing came from because it has been around long before Bugs Bunny cartoons and believe it or not, the origins of this line in the sand thing go a long way back, all the way back to ancient times before Christ where two parties were about to battle and one would draw a line and they would say, if you cross over this, it means war. The line in the sand moment has often meant do not cross or you will pay. But as I was researching this, I found out that there was another famous line in the sand moment, and it has a different meaning. Some of you may know the story. It was at the Alamo. 
The story goes that Colonel William Travis, in, in the last days of the Battle of the Alamo, was completely surrounded with his men inside the mission. And the Mexican general sent a messenger to Travis demanding that they surrender. And the legend is that Travis called his men together, the defenders of the Alamo, he read them the letter, and then having personally chosen to fight and die instead of surrender, he pulled out his sword, drew a line in the sand, and asked for the men to volunteer to cross over the line and join him if they were willing to give their lives. Every single man, over 150, crossed the line with the exception of one guy. Everybody but one crossed the line and accepted the invitation to join the fight. And since then, there's been another meaning to this line in the sand. Yes, sometimes it means don't cross or you'll pay. Sometimes it is meant cross and show me that you're with me. Cross to show that you are one of us. Either way, the line in the sand metaphor has been used quite a bit. Sometimes to divide a person from their enemy, other times to invite someone to join a cause, but every time. It's a metaphor for courage and taking risk and usually making a brave decision that comes with a high price. And I think that most of us can think of those line in the sand moments in our own lives where we had to make a choice. We had to take a leap. We, we, we had to make a somewhat courageous move out of our comfort zone and we did and we were better for it. That said, I think some of us can also think of some times that we did not when we were given the option to join something on the other side of a line and for whatever reason, it seemed kind of scary and so we stayed back. And I don't know about you, but, but, but because of those moments, there are times I find myself occasionally wondering what might have been if I had crossed that line. I bring it up this morning because I firmly believe that in the spiritual life, your spiritual life, in your journey, there are very much series of line in the sand moments. Now, I don't mean that to say that every moment in your spiritual life is a dramatic moment full of conflict, tough choices. The truth is, there are plenty of valuable, simple, small choices that we make that connect us to God. But every so often, there comes a chance for you to make a big, courageous step across a line in your faith. And those steps change you. Sometimes we take them, a lot of times we don't. And I would suggest this morning that if you feel like your spiritual life is lacking, that your journey is less exciting than you thought it would be, it could very well be that you are due and it's time to cross another line. We've been answering some questions this series, right? Questions ranging from is Jesus really God to is the Bible reliable? Questions about whether or not life has a purpose and maybe one more question that you have been asking or you could be asking, what does God want from me? In fact, I, I would even word it, what does he want from me now? What does he want right now? Now, I mean, we've been exploring God, we've been answering all these questions about him, but in the end, it's all kind of useless if it doesn't draw us to action, right? Explorers explore, and then they do something. Like, when Lewis and Clark got to Oregon, they built a fort. When Amerigo Vespucci got to America, he drew maps for everybody else. When Dora the Explorer found the magical chocolate tree, she and Boots the Monkey sang a chocolate song. Exploring is useless if you don't do something with it. 
And so today the question, what might God want from me right now? I'll just tell you, I wonder if you might find yourself at one of those line in the sand moments. Let me ask, when was the last time you crossed one? We're going to hear the story today of a guy who crossed a spiritual line in the sand and who in the process encountered the God of the universe. It changed his life. In Acts 16, we read the story of this guy who stepped forward, who stepped across a line. And the story begins with two other guys who were going around telling other people about Jesus. These men were named Paul and Silas, and they had been traveling for a little while around the Roman Empire and explaining to people that Christ had, what he had done in their own lives. And so we read that one day, they're in the city Philippi, and they run across a fortune teller, uh, the ancient Mideast version of a psychic. And she is a slave. The Bible says that she's been possessed by the spirit that causes her to tell fortunes. And because of it, some men have purchased her. They own her and they use her and the spirit in her to make money. So Paul and Silas come across her and she sees them and she shouts, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling all of you the way to be saved. She starts telling people what they're there to do. The Bible says that she followed them everywhere. She kept this up for a whole lot of days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed. By the way, that's the Bible's words, not mine. Paul's annoyed. And he turned around and said to the spirit, come out of her. And Paul cast the spirit out. Now, that's all good and well, except remember, she was a slave. And her greatest value to her owners was her fortune-telling ability, and she couldn't do that anymore. And so when the owners see that this has happened, they grab Paul and Silas. The Bible says they seize them, drag them into the marketplace, and bring them before the authorities. Now, you would think that maybe the owners have a chance at a civil suit. Someone has hurt their business, but that's not the direction they decide to go. These men, the owners, decide to make a criminal complaint. Check this out, verse 20, it says, they said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. They don't say, these men have ruined our exploitation of this girl. They say, these men are Jews and they're trying to get us to do things that are illegal. And this is important. They are trying to get us to cross a line. And we are not comfortable with that at all. The owners drag them to the marketplace in front of the public and all the authorities, and they say, these men are enemies on the other side of a line that we think should not be crossed, and if you cross, you should have to pay. It's that first kind of line crossing I was talking about. A line in the sand that says, I have my limits of what I will do, what I'll let you do, and if you cross a line or you try to get me to cross the line, then get ready because I will bring wrath. I will defend myself. We don't like line crossers. You will pay. And so the crowd hears this. They get very agitated. The authorities order Paul and Silas to be stripped and beaten with rods and flogged. The Bible says whipped, severely flogged, and then they are thrown in prison. And this is where I want you to start looking with me a little bit more closely. They were thrown in prison, verse 23, and the jailer, look at this last line, the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now the jailer, is the man that I wanna look at with you this morning, focus on. He, he's an incidental character who gets caught up in this huge ordeal. We're not gonna talk about Paul so much or Silas, not the owners of the slave girl, uh, not the rulers who sent them to prison, but this jailer who's at work just trying to do his job. 
Take a look at verse 24. It says, when the jailer received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, there are a few things you should know about this. First, the jailer has been told to guard them carefully. The most careful place he could put them would be in the inner cell. The inner cell was like a dungeon. Uh, there are no windows, there are no lights. It'd be very difficult to get out. This is where you put somebody that you've been told to guard very carefully. The second thing it says is that the jailer fastened their feet in stocks. Stocks were not just about keeping you in. The idea, these were about torture as well. The point was to hurt these guys. Now I want you, I want you to get that picture. They're being treated as if they're violent criminals. And as far as the jailer knows, the reason is because these were men who had crossed a line, which means they must pay, and they were trying to get other people to cross a line too. So the jailer is doing his best possible job to try and make sure these guys cannot escape. He's doing what he's been asked to do. He's guarding them carefully. And take a look at verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Middle of the night, there's an earthquake. Chains come off, doors open up, and the jailer runs in. Look at verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He knows there's been an earthquake. He sees the doors open. He assumes that the worst thing has happened, and so the jailer pulls out his sword and is about to end his own life. Now, I think we need to stop here and talk about why. We can come up with all sorts of theories, right? Like one, he's failed and he thinks he's gonna lose his job. He'd rather not live than lose his job. Two, maybe, uh, maybe he thinks he'll be the laughing stock of the town, that, that he let these nonviolent preacher guys get away and he'll never be able to show his face in public again and that is just too much for him, it's better to end it all. Or three, what I think is probably the most compelling explanation of all, his bosses in the town will think that he intentionally let Paul and Silas go. Okay, remember what we know. Paul and Silas had already been severely beaten before they got to the prison. Once they were there, they're put in a section nobody ever gets out of, even there, tortured some more. Guys like that don't just get up and walk out of prison. The only explanation it could be is that someone let them out. And so the jailer thinks to himself, everybody's gonna think it was me. They'll think it was an inside job. They will think that I am one of them. Get this. They will think that somehow I crossed the line. I wanna make sure this is real clear. He thinks these men are in prison because they have crossed a line that in our city you must pay when you cross. If people think I let them out, then people will think that I have crossed a line too. And, and the jailer has seen firsthand how line crossers get treated. They are flogged in public. They're thrown in prison. Uh, while you may want to be many things in this ancient culture, what you do not want to be is a line crosser. And so he's about to end it all because death is better than that. He pulls out his sword, and while he does, he must be crying or agonizing because Paul and Silas hear what he's about to do, or they sense what he's about to do, and they yell out, wait, don't harm yourself, 
We are all here. Think about that. Even though God had orchestrated a miracle so that they can escape, they have stayed. And so has everybody else. And, and I would love to spend a morning talking about that right there. The time that God decided to open the door and these people did not go through it. What would have kept them in the dungeon when it was so clear that God had made a way for them to get out? But that's not the story this morning because this isn't the story of Paul and Silas. It's the story of the jailer. You see, because he hears them scream, don't hurt yourself, he decides to explore. He grabs a torch with some of his assistants, he runs into the inner cell, he sees them right there, and then he falls to his knees, trembling. When the jailer sees that they're still there, he falls down, he breaks down, get that, walking through the open door, exploring, and then seeing these men, God meets him, and God wants something from him. In fact, now that I think about it, maybe the reason God caused an earthquake and opened the door wasn't so the people on the inside could get out. Maybe all along, it was so that this guy could explore and go in. See, he runs in, he falls to his knees trembling, and then he asks Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that is significant. The fact is, he's got a lot of options to be saved. He can, he can reattach their chains. He can put them back in stocks. He can call the authorities and report that there's been an earthquake, but everything's fine. He did his job. None of the prisoners have escaped. In light of the circumstances, one might think he would even get a promotion for this. He's got a lot of options. Things can go back to normal, but he doesn't take those options, almost forgetting that like two minutes earlier he was gonna end his life because he thought that they had left their cell. He takes these guys by the hand, leads them out of the cell and asks, what must I do to be saved? And I want you to get the change. He begins to go from, I don't wanna be associated with these people, to how can I have what you have? This guy who was about to kill himself because he didn't wanna be seen as a line crosser asks them how to become one of them. And the Bible says that Paul and Silas moved over into the part of the prison where his house was and they told him and his whole family what it meant to follow Jesus. It says that the jailer washed their wounds and he fed them a meal and then it says he was filled with joy, he and his whole household, because they came to believe in God. And we know what that means. We know what it means in this passage, that they asked forgiveness of their sins and they said, God, lead me. But there's something else that happened that night. And I don't wanna rush past it. It is the biggest thing in this story and it's significant since we're talking about line crossing. Look at verse 33. It says, after he washed their wounds, the jailer and his whole household were baptized. Let me real fast explain to you what that meant that night in that city, in that culture. Baptism was not something every religion did. It was not just a simple small step to say, you're kind of on board, starting to believe some things about this God, this religion. Baptism was a fairly new thing. Jesus had been baptized by this guy, John the Baptist, and, and the early Christians started it as a standard way for people to say, I wanna live like Jesus, I'm following his lead. 
All throughout this book of Acts, we see people get baptized. And it is shortly after they make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And, and the reason for it, it wasn't some magic cleansing of their sin. It, it, it was something that they did because they felt a draw to it. Look, it was not because they wanted to ensure that they were really saved. It was a way of them publicly saying, I want to be identified with Jesus. I'm in on this Jesus stuff. What it was? It was their ancient way of crossing the line. And this is huge. Because this jailer in one night goes from being afraid people will think he's a line crosser to crossing that line with everything he had. And bringing his family across with him. Baptism was this ancient line in the sand that said, are you with us? Are you in this? Are you willing to do something courageous and risky, but of massive spiritual significance? If so, cross the line. Show me you're with me. Baptism was their line in the sand. And this guy, this jailer, he took a step forward across the line and God intersected his story. I think from time to time, all of us have lines in the sand that we stand there staring at. And I'll just tell you, they can be tough to cross. They, they sometimes are these dramatic moments in our journey, in our story. And, and here, I think many of us, in the middle of our exploring, we're exploring God, we get to a line and we stare at it, afraid to cross it, looking instead for like little, comfortable, less scary, easy steps that we can take. And that's, that's good, take them, take small steps. Small steps matter, but man, those line crossings are huge for you. Can I tell you, that, that is why as a church, we put a lot of thought and prayer into how to give you opportunities to recognize when there's a line in front of you. Um, recently, back in April, our Easter services if you were here, you might remember, we gave you an opportunity to write on a piece of paper. We, we, we were talking about things that we might bury and ask God to bring back to life for God to make them new. And we said, if you wanna do that about you, your soul, write me on your paper. And then if you were here, you, you, you might remember, we buried those papers in this auditorium. We had a ton of dirt in this auditorium and we walked down and buried them and then we went and got these bells that symbolize a new life. I went over to, to dinner one night at someone's house and saw these bells hanging in their kitchen and I was so excited. And I'll tell you, if you wrote me at Easter, you were saying, God, I wanna be raised to walk in new life and follow you and for some of you, your honest words to God, something you might not have done much of before that day, were a major step in your journey. That was a day that you crossed a line in the sand. Some of our other services around here, we've, we've given you a chance to pray with me and, and ask Jesus into your life. And sometimes when we've done that, we've invited you to go to one of our grace walls and screw in a light bulb, that light turning on representing God's grace going on in your life. Hundreds of people have done that around Crosswinds over the years we've been using these walls. That might have been a line in the sand moment for you. If you did it, it was. Recognizing these lines is so important and it's why we as a church do a lot of physical things to, 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 to make that moment significant. Things as silly as light bulbs. It's not that the things are important, it's the spiritual line they represent. Well, I need to say, if you were at a place 
where you have been exploring God and you're asking the question, what does God want from me? Or maybe you answered all these questions that we've been answering in this series a long time ago, but you feel like maybe today you are not seeing the growth and the movement in your spiritual journey you would like to be seeing. I wanna suggest maybe God has drawn some lines in the sand that you have been afraid to cross. Can I just give you a couple lines in the sand that some of you might need to consider stepping over right now? For some of you, it's a small group. I'll just tell you, you know, you can go to church here forever. You can come every single Sunday. You can give money to this place. You You can have 25 friends here right now, but if you don't have a place where you have honest, intentional discussion about the state of your life, where you, where you challenge each other and apply scripture to each other, where you encourage each other, you are missing a line that God is drawing for you. There is something God does to propel you forward in your journey that only happens when you're part of an honest, intentional group of people who are talking about their lives. And some of you, you have avoided crossing that line for a very long time and you've just decided, I'm gonna try to do the spiritual journey without it, and you can, but I'll just tell you, it is not the journey God intended for you to have. What he wants for you is is to keep exploring God, but with other people. I'll tell you, if you've been coming on Sundays, but you don't really know many people yet, look, we're glad you're here, hope you like the teaching, hope you like the music, God will continue to take you further steps in your journey through what happens in these services. But if you really want to grow, if you want your journey to take off, you have got to meet other people like you. In the announcements that Andrea gave earlier, you heard about this wall that we have set up outside today where you can find out about small groups. I want to encourage you to stop by there. Mike, our community life pastor, will be there, and, and, and he can help set you up. he tell you more about them. Look, do not just explore God. Do something with it. Some of you, this might be what God has for you to do. For some of you, it's not the group thing. It's getting involved serving where you're meant to serve. You know, God has wired you. He's uniquely gifted you to make a difference, and it's maybe just been too much trouble for you to figure out what that is. And you don't want to commit to volunteering somewhere you may not like, or, or maybe you've done that somewhere before, and it was a train wreck, and you could not wait to be done with it. And you're somebody who's not figured out what God has meant for you to do to serve him and his church. And And so as a church, I'll tell you, we've made it as simple as possible to cross that line in the sand. We have this class called Knowing Your Design. And and see, Crosswinds is not about people just filling holes that we have around here or or being involved because we desperately need help. That is much less exciting for us than seeing you cross a line in your journey where you start making a difference in a way that only you can because God wired you the way he's only wired you. And when you cross that line and you begin serving where you're meant to serve, I'm telling you, your journey will not ever be the same again. It will not. And so some of you need to take a big step forward and just go to this Knowing Your Design class we're gonna offer in the new year. It's free. All you gotta do is is sign up, which, by the way, you can get more information about that by scanning a QR code on these cards in the pockets in front of you. There's one that says serving, volunteering. Scan that. It'll take you to a spot on our website where you can just say, tell me more when the Knowing Your Design class gets scheduled. And maybe serving or, or learning how God uniquely made you 
to make a difference in the lives of other people is a line you are ready to cross. Finally, let me give you one last one, and I, I have saved this for what I think is the most important, I've saved this most important one today for last. I'll just tell you, for many of you, the line in the sand you need to cross is the exact same one that the jailer did, him and his family. It is baptism. And I, I gotta tell you, for a number of you, there's a really big line um, you have made a decision to follow Jesus. M maybe it was at Easter, maybe it was last week, maybe it was 20 years ago, and you have yet to do the physical act of saying, I identify with Jesus, I'm one of his. You have, you have yet to cross the physical line that the Bible talks about being the way that you say, I am with you, I belong to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, I talk to people all the time about what keeps them from crossing that line in the sand. You know what the number one thing I hear is, I'm not ready yet. And, and what I see in people is this sense that something internally has got to change to make them ready or holy enough or committed enough to finally get baptized. Like they need to prove their commitment to Jesus before they identify with Jesus. I need to tell you, that is not how it works. The jailer did not get his life cleaned up, right? He didn't memorize all the words of Jesus, any of the words of Jesus. He did not go to a membership class at his local church. He made a decision to follow Jesus and then he crossed the line to go public with it in baptism. He didn't wait until he was ready to go further in his journey. The line crossing itself, the baptism, is what made him ready to journey on from there. And for some of you, many of you, the most significant thing you could do now that you've answered some questions is to just get over whatever is holding you back and be baptized. Again, on those cards in front of you, uh, there's an, a different QR code. This one says, I, I wanna know more info about baptism. You can scan that and we'll walk you through what baptism is, what it looks like around here. And we will baptize you on a Sunday after church or a Tuesday afternoon or a Friday at three in the morning. We don't care, we're very flexible. <laughs> we just want you to do something once you've explored. Do not just explore and have that be the totality of your journey. Do something with it, and this baptism is what you do when you've explored and you decide that you're with Jesus. Every one of us is on a journey. We are explorers. We are exploring God. Let me be really clear. What the exploring means, where the exploring becomes worth it, is when you get to a line in the sand and you decide to cross it. You gotta cross it. Don't wait any longer to cross the one that God has drawn for you. All right, we've asked our band to come back out and close us as we finish this series. Close us in, in one last song. And I'll just say, we, we talked about it. We felt like it was appropriate at the end of an exploration to sing about a Jesus who is there at the end of a journey on the other side of a line waiting. So I wanna ask you to stand. Would you stand with us right now? And Derek and the band are gonna lead us in this, this very old hymn. If you don't know the words, this is not hard to follow. <laughs>